Friday, sixth grader attacked on his school bus for wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Super transphobic, and I never want to share space with you. Thank you. If you're a Democrat or support the Democratic Party, don't you ever use the word democracy again. Let the whole world see who you are. Yeah, I hate anti-trans people. Yeah, we're not anti-trans. Yes, you are. The United States is more divided today than it has ever been, and we all feel this. And this means that just talking to each other is more difficult than ever. Not only because Democrats and Republicans lead such disparate lives that we literally never run into each other, but also because no matter which side you fall on, people on the opposite end of the political spectrum have been deemed enemies to the point of dehumanization. And so striking up a conversation is far from casual or easy. It can be downright terrifying. And so we avoid it leading to increased polarization and, as a result, increased political violence. Today, I'm going to try to persuade you that having these difficult conversations is exactly what we need to be doing to save this country. And I'm gonna lay out a blueprint for how to do it effectively, even if you're scared or you think it's a pointless waste of time. This is how to talk to Republicans. Roll the intro. sure where to start when it comes to learning about issues from different perspectives or seeing how the other half lives, Ground News is a great place to start. I am so impressed with Ground News and so happy that they're partnering with me on today's video because they're genuinely a great resource for combating your own biases and identifying biases in the media you consume. I use it every day for my research and I think it's a great tool. Ground News is a website and app that gathers related articles from across the political spectrum in one place so you can compare coverage. Every breaking news story comes with a bias bar to give you an idea of what types of media outlets are covering the story. And when you click to read more, you can see every article about this issue and compare headlines to see how it's being framed on the left and right. But the feature that's most relevant to today's video is the blind spot feed, because it can actually help you connect with people you don't agree with. This feed pulls in stories that are disproportionately covered by one side of the political spectrum. Often these are highly partisan stories delivering more sensational content. It's important to know about these stories because it can actually help you practice empathy by allowing you to step into the media reality of someone you may disagree with and recognize the power that this has over the way people understand the world. So next time your uncle tells you that allowing permitless concealed carry actually decreases crime, you'll know that he's talking about a very specific study out of Ohio. And all of a sudden you have common ground to base your conversation in instead of thinking he's absolutely nuts. You can actually engage with the facts of the study, like who it was conducted by, for example. When we all have access to the same information, bridging that gap with people on the other side of the spectrum becomes infinitely easier. But don't just take my word for it. Here are some real reviews from Ground News readers. Go to ground.news to give it a try. You can subscribe through my link to get 30% off the Vantage subscription, which is what I use. It works out to just over $5 a month. Thanks to Ground News for sponsoring this video. A 2021 poll found that the majority of Americans perceived other people in America as the principal threat to the nation's way of life. And in June 2021, voters declared division in the country as the number one issue facing them personally. And many find these divisions to be insurmountable. A recent survey by the University of Virginia found that 52% of Trump supporters and 41% of Biden supporters favor red or blue states seceding from the union to form separate countries. A shocking number of the electorate are in favor of secession. Not succession, though we do love that, but secession. 
as in states leaving the Union, civil war, etc. And while it can be easy to look at strangers on the street and judge them for their political affiliations, these divisions are tearing a surprising percentage of U.S. families apart. Approximately half of Americans report having political beliefs in opposition to their parents, and these divisions are only making the problems worse. Pew Research Center has found that nearly 60% of U.S. adults find political conversations with those they disagree with to be stressful and frustrating, no matter their political affiliation. The stress associated with political discussions varies across demographic lines, with nearly two-thirds of white people indicating that they find these conversations particularly stressful, compared to lower percentages among Black, Hispanic, and Asian adults. Age also plays a role, with those under 50 finding such discussions slightly less stressful than their older counterparts. What this all means is that our divisions are getting worse, not only because we disagree on fundamental issues, but also because we aren't talking to each other. And listen, I'm no psychologist, and not to get touchy-feely with you, but communication is key to any relationship. I dare you to prove me wrong. Marital problems are easier when there's open communication, jobs are performed better and with a better attitude when people within the organization are communicating regularly and efficiently. If you're mad about something, you can either sit in silence and stew about it and be petty about it, or you can speak up, just say what's going on. You will feel better, and whatever the issue is will likely be solved a hell of a lot more quickly and painlessly if you just use your damn words. If you don't agree with me or find yourself pushing against the benefits of increased communication, maybe you should sit with that. See if there's some work that you could be doing on yourself. Maybe there are areas in your life where more communication would be beneficial. Maybe start with the man in the mirror, you know? Okay. Therapy session closed, moving on. The point is that we're not communicating with each other, and that's making the division worse. But listen, I can already hear you now. I don't want to, they started it, there's no point, they don't deserve my time and energy. And we'll get into your objections towards the end of the video. There were certainly a lot when I posed this question to my Patreon community. But let me just lay out why conversations, especially with people who you don't agree with politically, matter. There's of course the argument that a lot of white people have heard and adopted, which is that as white people, we're the ones with the relatives who voted for Trump. We're the ones who need to be doing the work on our own people. But that's easy to say, but very difficult to do, in my experience, unless you have the right tools and attitude, and the person you're talking to does as well, or at least is willing to listen. Okay, but there are also some selfish reasons why having conversations with Republicans is important for you. When you discuss an issue with someone who is consuming different news and information than you, and whose leaders are putting forth different arguments than yours, you can gain a better understanding of the issue. Not only the facts of the issue, but also what you agree and disagree with and the nuances of an issue, your blind spots. Believe it or not, you or I don't know much about anything. Studies show that the electorate on average is woefully underinformed about the issues, and it would be impossible to know everything about every issue anyway, so the point is not to be a know-it-all. The point is that when you talk to someone from a different walk of life, you are naturally going to learn things, which will broaden your perspective on an issue. Not that it'll change your mind, it'll simply provide you with more context, which is helpful for forming any argument. Not only that, but it can strengthen your own arguments for why you believe what you do when you see how your perspective holds up to contradiction and questioning. It's also lawyering 101 to understand, study, and anticipate the arguments and viewpoints of your adversary in order to form stronger, more complete arguments. Avoiding your adversary's points or ignoring them altogether is bad lawyering and forms a very weak, potentially non-existent argument. It's hard to understand the perspective of those you disagree with 
unless you talk to them. This is why, when surveyed, most Americans make drastically incorrect assumptions about people in the opposing political party. Americans estimate that 30% of Democrats are gay. Only 4% of Americans are LGBTQ+. Americans think 40% of Democrats are Black, when only 20% are. And Americans think that 38% of Republicans earn more than $250,000 per year. Only 1.5% of Americans have incomes that high. And that isn't because of disinterest in politics. The same study found that the more interested in politics a person was, the more likely they were to be wrong in their estimations of the opposing party. Not only is this embarrassing, it also means we're likely wrong about a lot of things when it comes to how we see Republicans. And again, this makes sense because we do not talk to each other, especially the more far left or right we fall. And this has become only more pronounced in recent decades. Back in the 1980s, it was common for spouses to have differing political views but still live happily married together. That is unthinkable today. Not only because polarization has gotten so extreme that the ends of our political spectrum are light years away from each other, but also because political opinions have become personal identifiers for many people. I am a leftist because I am a good person. It is fundamental to who I am. If I don't show the world that I am leftist and demonstrate left qualities through my words and actions, then people might perceive me as a bad person. Because to not be leftist makes you bad. And in thinking that, we're simultaneously distancing and dehumanizing those on the right. We're making broad strokes assumptions and leaning into stereotypes in ways we would never do to other groups of people. Leftists pride themselves on empathy and thinking of the welfare and well-being of others, of being selfless and community-oriented. And yet, we refuse to extend that empathy when it comes to people who disagree with us politically. They immediately become bad people in our minds. Full stop. Honestly, as I was writing this script, I kind of worry that you, my viewers, will think I'm a bad person for even suggesting that we offer some form of empathy to Republicans. That's how polarized we are and how much we dehumanize those we don't politically agree with. That I can have an extensive body of leftist work, over 200 videos, you can go watch them now, and yet fear being labeled a Republican apologist by other leftists because to say a nice or empathetic word about a Republican means to be associated with Republican generally, which taints your legitimacy as a leftist. Any association with the othered group means you cannot be one of us. You can't sit with us! We've heard this type of rhetoric before, and it doesn't lead to good places. But of course, I'm not saying people shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. If someone does something racist, they should be held accountable. If they storm the Capitol, they should be held accountable. But to label an entire group of people, 50% of our population, as bad because of the political party they voted for seems a little close-minded for a group that prides themselves on their open-mindedness. I'll just say that. And if you feel yourself really pushing back on this idea, that's okay. You're probably still feeling a lot of anger, resentment, and fear. I've been there. I've felt that for years. Maybe now is not the time for you personally to engage in open dialogue with people you disagree with politically. That's something you need to decide for yourself, especially if you're in a group that has been targeted and oppressed by leaders and members of the Republican Party. Maybe you're not in a place to take that on, and you shouldn't have to. Which is why I'm making this video not because I think Republicans will see this, but because I know my audience is incredibly left-leaning, and it is an important conversation to have amongst ourselves and around 
reckoning we will be forced to deal with at some point as the political divisiveness continues to come to a head in this country. Remember how I said like half of the electorate is ready for secession? Last time states tried to secede from the Union, there was a civil war. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the alarming increase in political violence that has happened in this country in recent years. This is not a remote possibility. This is something that we should be contending with and doing whatever it takes to deal with head on. Unless, of course, you're one of the many people who said they're in favor of secession, in which case I guess this video won't be very persuasive for you. And the way I see it, we live in a country where there are many people with many opposing viewpoints. That makes sense. There are 330 million of us. We're not all going to agree with each other. And screaming at each other isn't going to change that. So we can either dig in our heels and continue to regard half the population as enemies until it comes to a head, probably violently, or we can say, okay, we are going to disagree. That's part of existing in a community this large. How do we ensure our survival? Maybe we can start by not dehumanizing the other 50% of the population. And to do that, we have to have empathy and engage in conversations. If you are ready to have those conversations with people who you don't agree with politically, I think it could be a really powerful thing. Because in talking to people with different experiences from our own, we gain new perspectives and our understanding of the nuance of divisive issues will improve, which will make us better at addressing those issues. The goal is not to stop fighting for the causes we believe in or to tone ourselves down or let others talk us out of our beliefs. The goal is to become more effective, credible, and collaborative in our beliefs and our work. And if our work is to strengthen our communities and our relationships, or at the very least avoid continued political violence, then difficult conversations have to happen and they have to be effective. And I've said this many, many times, but as much as we care about who the president is, the real impact and the real change happens at the local level. So stronger communities and more open dialogue can have really important impacts on your day-to-day -day life. Luckily, there have been many studies and projects that have tested ways to have constructive conversations. So we have actionable steps we can take to engage in the scary, hard, but important conversations with people who don't agree with us. Before we get into these steps, I want to note that it's important to take the context of the conversation into consideration. Are you sitting down with your mother to talk about difficult issues that you can't seem to see eye to eye on, but you want to resolve to repair your relationship? Because that's a whole different vibe than getting involved in an argument in the comments section of a YouTube video with a stranger on the internet, you know? So keep that in mind. Step one. Determine whether this conversation is worth it to you. Before diving into potentially contentious discussions, assess whether engaging in this discussion is even beneficial in the first place. Sometimes understanding another person's perspective doesn't require direct dialogue right away. It can be gleaned from other sources. Maybe this moment or this person isn't the way forward. Step two, determine what your goal is. Is your goal to foster connection with the person or increase your understanding of the issue while providing your perspective? That's a realistic expectation to bring to the conversation. If your goal is to change the person's mind, you will probably be sorely disappointed. That's not an effective or realistic expectation to have when you engage in conversations with people who don't agree with you, and it will likely lead to frustration on both sides. Step three, establish consent and set the tone. Signal your intention to navigate tricky topics with care by asking permission to broach sensitive subjects. This approach helps create a safe space for dialogue, showing respect for the other person's comfort levels. Be mindful of verbal cues and absolutes that may indicate a reluctance to engage in open-minded discussion 
depression. This is especially important in the situation where you're sitting down to have a difficult conversation with your mom. But even if you're engaging in a discussion with a stranger, you want to gauge where they're at and what level of comfort they have with the conversation. If you come in hot and they're not ready for it, or they seem on edge or evasive or antagonistic, this might not be the right time or the right person to be having this conversation with. Taking a second to start the conversation by asking the person whether they're comfortable having it in the first place is a good place to start. Step four, find common ground. Begin conversations by acknowledging points of agreement. The strategy not only sets a positive tone, but also emphasizes the goal of mutual understanding instead of the goal of winning arguments. Listen actively to identify areas of consensus and use these as a foundation to explore differences more constructively. For example, if you're discussing with someone their choice to vote for Donald Trump and they say it's because he's going to drain the swamp, that's an excellent opportunity to say, I agree that our government is filled with politicians who don't have our best interests at heart. You will be shocked to find that a lot of people have very similar motivations and values no matter who they vote for. I found this in my videos reacting to alt-right TikToks. A lot of the time, people are motivated by a feeling of not being heard by their representatives or a suspicion of people in power because of that feeling of powerlessness and concern for their well-being and the well-being of their family or community. The more you can find that you agree on, the less antagonistic and more constructive the conversation will be. Step five, foster open dialogue. Encourage a two-way exchange by talking less and allowing the other person ample space to share their views. Replace confrontational language with phrases that build on what the other person says, avoiding dismissive terms like but, which can negate the preceding statement. This approach promotes a more balanced and reciprocal dialogue. If you're going into the conversation with the goal of making a few zingers and arguing your point so thoroughly that there's no way they could disagree with you, you're gonna be disappointed and they're gonna feel attacked, which will make them shut down and probably reinforce every assumption they have about people like you. This frankly does more harm than good. Open dialogue requires you to listen and be curious about the other person and be more interested in learning than in winning. Also, resist the urge to be provocative just for the sake of it, because this often also does more harm than good, which escalates tensions rather than easing them. Step six, maintain respect and avoid condescension. Approach the conversation with humility and an open mind, recognizing that being informed does not equate to being superior. Treat the other person as an equal, capable of teaching you something new, and express gratitude for the opportunity to engage in dialogue, even if it's disagreement. Step seven, personalize the conversation. Share personal stories and experiences rather than relying solely on abstract arguments. This method can help humanize the discussion, making it easier to connect on an emotional level and foster empathy. Study after study has shown that telling people facts does nothing to persuade them to change their mind. People aren't driven by facts, they're driven by emotions. And by sharing personal stories and asking them to share their own personal story, you're opening them up to you as a human, which fosters better connection. One way to do this is instead of asking why they believe something, ask them how they came to that belief. The difference in why versus how can be very powerful. One is asking them to explain themselves, which can feel like an attack. The other is asking them to share about themselves. Personalizing the conversation has been proven to be one of, if not the only effective way to actually get people to change their minds or be open to changing their minds. Deep canvassing, a technique aimed at fostering acceptance and support for progressive causes by engaging in meaningful conversations with those who hold opposing views, is gaining traction as an effective method for changing minds and reducing prejudice. This method stands out not only 
for its approach, but also for its proven effectiveness through rigorous research and real-world application. A 2016 study published in Science first showcased the potential of deep canvassing, demonstrating its ability to sway opinions on issues like LGBTQ rights. This was further solidified by a subsequent study, which replicated these findings across three placebo-controlled field experiments. These studies revealed that deep canvassing could lead to lasting changes in opinions and reductions in prejudice, moving the needle in ways traditional canvassing and advocacy methods have struggled to achieve. The core strategy of deep canvassing involves engaging individuals in conversations that encourage reflection on personal experiences and empathy towards marginalized communities. Unlike traditional canvassing, which often relies on presenting facts or statistics, deep canvassing focuses on sharing personal stories and listening to others' experiences without judgment. This approach allows individuals to connect on a human level and reconsider their views in a non-confrontational setting. The experiments highlight the importance of patience, listening, and avoiding call-out culture as key to the success of these conversations. Their findings suggest that by engaging in a two-way exchange of narratives, individuals are more likely to see a tolerant attitude as consistent with their own self-image, thereby fostering genuine opinion change. The approach's success rate is notable, with 78% of people approached agreeing to engage in the full conversation, meaning that instead of slamming the door in their faces, 78% of people agreed to engage in the exchange. And 75% of those people shared their own personal stories. This openness to dialogue indicates an unexpectedly broad willingness among Americans to discuss divisive issues with an open mind. And to be a little bit more specific, if we were on a scale from 0 to 10, where 0 is you're 100% against, 10 is 100% in favor of including them in the non-discrimination laws, and 5 somewhere in the middle, and then you have your whole scale there. Where do you think you'd put yourself? Mm-hmm. Six. Six. Okay. You know someone who yes, is transgender? I, I have someone in my family. So is transgender? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. How are you how are you related to them? It's my nephew. Your well, nephew. Or niece, nephew, whatever. Niece, okay. Well, has she talked to you about that at all? Um, actually that's funny because um he felt like uh I'm not quite comfortable with it, so mm -hmm. he stopped talking. Okay. One of my best friends, great guy, great guy, and he, um, he is transgender, so he was born a girl, he was raped, and he got his chest flattened, and um, he was really excited about it, he took a bunch of selfies of himself with his flattened chest. He, he sent a picture back to one of his best friends from high school, and she said, like, she just wasn't expecting it, and I, I think it really caught her off guard, and she said, oh, what? That's, that's really weird. And he had been so excited about that surgery, and it really hurt him, I think, to hear his friend react that way. Wow. Um, Maybe that's the way I kind of reacted towards him without saying it, but the way I guess I was acting. I mean, I think it's really complicated. I didn't even think about it like that. Like if I was in his position. So that could then bring you back to this, to this rating scale. It's one last time where zero is you were not 100% vote against including transgender people in non-discrimination laws, and 10 is you would 100% vote in favor of it, and then everywhere in the middle on a scale. I would totally vote in favor of it. Totally vote in favor? Yeah. Like a 10? Yes. All right. 
I mean, because it's, it's, it's only right. I mean, let a person be who they are. Deep canvassing's incremental but meaningful impact on public opinion is particularly relevant in tightly contested electoral contexts. Even a small shift in opinions can have a significant impact on election outcomes, making this method a valuable tool for campaigners and activists, but it also proves the power of connecting with people over their lived experiences as opposed to spouting facts off at them and hoping to make them change through sheer force of logic. Step 8. Prepare to be disappointed. Accepting that agreements may not always be possible and focusing on understanding rather than winning can reduce the stress of disagreement and keep the lines of communication open. Those open lines of communication can lead to further conversation, which can be constructive for eventually changing minds or at the very least, creating a greater sense of peace and belonging even when disagreements occur. And remaining connected with people can have a significant long-term impact. Recent studies highlight a powerful way to help prevent extremism by keeping communication open. Research shows that extremists think less about violence when they see that people like them don't support it. This doesn't just lower their willingness to act violently, it also makes them think more deeply about their choices. Interestingly, the people influencing them don't have to be extremists themselves, they just need to be from the same community or ethnic group. The key takeaway is that everyday people can play a big role in reducing violent extremism by openly condemning it. But, for this to work, extremists need to feel connected to those who are speaking out against that violence. Extremists often isolate themselves within their own groups, cutting ties with the wider society. This isolation is part of what drives them deeper into extremism. Research also points out that feeling left out or excluded can push people further towards extremist views. So while it might feel uncomfortable, we need to keep engaging with those leaning towards extremism, making them feel included rather than excluded. Practical advice from psychology suggests talking directly to people, preferably in person, can be very effective. Understanding that extremist groups often offer solutions to personal problems is crucial. These groups provide a sense of belonging or purpose to those who are struggling. Recognizing the real issues someone is facing and offering support can help steer them away from extremism. However, if someone is really happy within an extremist group because it meets their needs for belonging or purpose, it will be tough to convince them to leave. In those cases, just being there for them and ready to help when they start questioning their beliefs can make a big difference. Okay, so that was a lot. Let's reiterate the steps. Step one, determine whether this conversation is worth it to you. Step two, determine what your goal is, and if it's to win, maybe reconsider. Step three, establish consent and set the tone. Step four, find common ground. Step five, foster open dialogue. Step six, maintain respect and avoid condescension. Step seven, personalize the conversation. And step eight, prepare to be disappointed, but keep trying to connect. All right, now I hope I haven't completely lost you, but I'm sure there are many objections to what I've just laid out. Again, I think there's a lot of anger on both sides and people are very quick to dismiss the ideas. I know because I started a discussion around this issue in my Patreon community and got a lot of very helpful feedback. The main objection, that this approach is naive. This only works if you live in a fairyland, but out here in the real world, these people are too far gone. They'll never get it, and this will never work. And listen, I don't have all the answers, and it's fair to object to this. It's why I'm bringing it up for discussion. Comment below, I'm happy to discuss further. But I will say that this is another scenario where you need to check in with yourself and see if you're in a place to have these conversations. If you're angry and hurt, that's valid. 
Maybe this isn't something you're in the right place to be doing right now. But also I would argue that this approach, the idea that you can and should have open conversations with people you disagree with, isn't naive if you understand the goal. Again, the goal is not to change people's minds. That's not possible. And the goal isn't even to reach the most radicalized people. You're right, they probably are too far gone and would need to come around on their own. Like I said, studies show that if someone feels happy and included within their extremist group, it's really hard to get them to leave. But those extremist people, while their numbers have grown in recent years, still constitute a relatively small portion of the population. There are many people who will vote for Trump who wouldn't storm the Capitol. The people on both ends of the political spectrum tend to be the loudest, but most people fall somewhere in the middle and tend to be more open to compromise and dialogue than we think, especially if it means avoiding violence. The goal is to humanize each side of the divide because it's the dehumanization that leads to violence. Dehumanization is required for violence to occur. My hope and my goal is not to make everyone in this country stand in a circle holding hands singing kumbaya or even to make everyone more progressive as amazing as that would be. My goal is to crack the lid on the pent-up anger in this country before it boils over into greater conflict. I'm literally in the process of obtaining EU citizenship and planning to leave this country because it doesn't feel safe and it doesn't feel stable. And that instability is due to the increased violence and antagonism that's being caused directly by our inability to see each other as humans with whom we share more common ground than we think. So maybe you might dismiss this as naive but someone's got to dream bigger than just wallowing in nihilism about where we're at in this country. I'm not a nihilist. I dated a nihilist once and it sucked. Another objection from my Patreon followers was that you have to call out people for holding dangerous or ignorant beliefs because if you don't take actions to support your values, do you really even have them? Like I already said, I do think people should be held accountable for their actions and their words. Whether they've done something racist or they've stormed the Capitol or they're screaming at a customer service person who told them to wear a mask. I think in those situations, it is valid to take actions either through legal action or speaking up to defend someone getting attacked. Those are constructive ways to take actions to support your values. I would, however, push back on the idea that the way to take action to support your values is by getting into arguments with people over their beliefs. What good are you really doing by telling someone, for example, who thinks that they're being oppressed by having to wear a mask that they wouldn't even know what oppression is because they've never experienced slavery or war or whatever? You're not changing their minds or their behavior, I can tell you that much, other than performing your beliefs for others to witness in the moment, which is self-serving, you're not really doing anything to actively help the situation. Taking actions to support your values involves giving mutual aid, speaking to your representatives, attending protests, volunteering for causes you believe in. Yelling at someone for not wearing a mask can feel cathartic, but it's not constructive. As another Patreon supporter pointed out, the people who benefit from us fighting each other aren't the voters or the taxpayers. It's the politicians and their rich benefactors who've been capitalizing on our fear and infighting for decades. Because if we're fighting each other, we aren't fighting or fixing the broken system. And if you want to get involved in these deeper conversations, as well as support the research and work that goes into these videos, I invite you to check out my Patreon community. You can also chat with me directly in our exclusive Patreon chat room, get early access to next week's video, exclusive live streams, and so much more. Your support helps to keep these videos free for everyone and furthers our mission towards legal and political Political education for all. Shout out to my newest patrons as well as my royal patrons and a very special shout out to my multi-platinum patrons Joshua Cole, Thomas Johnson, Sophia Sams, Anthony Giles, and Brett Piantek. Your generosity makes this channel what it is, so thank you. And if you like this video, you'll also like my video about how political violence is ruining our democracy. Thanks so much for watching, have a good day, Bye bye